Good morning. As we uh, come to God's Word today, I was uh, thinking this week about uh, a minor incident. For some reason, just it's etched in my mind as a kid, um, and I can't remember which school I was in, um, but for some reason, the cafeteria was in the gym, and I remember sitting at one of the tables there, and I just really wanted um, an ice cream sandwich. I think I usually brought my lunch, I can't remember for sure, but they had those little mini ice cream sandwiches for 10 cents. I don't know what they are today, but uh, this was like, you know, a couple years ago. And I turned to my friend and I said, hey, can I borrow 10 cents? I really want to get an ice cream sandwich. And uh, my friend said to me, are you going to pay me back? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll bring it in tomorrow, I I promise. Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. And I'm like, what is that even? Like, that is just the most bizarre expression, but I really remember it. And hearing such a depth of commitment, cross my heart, hope to die, uh, my friend gave me that dime. I got my ice cream, but I don't remember if I actually paid him back. And so I probably owe him like $1,000 at this point, you know, with interest and everything else. But as we dig into James today, we're back in the letter of James, and we turn to chapter 5, verse 12 in our study of listen carefully and learning to live confidently. It's a passage about swearing, about oaths, about promises, about commitments, about cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Why even as a child, we feel compelled to back up just yes, I will pay you back with a lot of other words, and that's what we're going to dig into today about this idea that we have to, to add something about, that says, I'm, I'm serious, I'm really serious this time. Children recognize that, adults do too, when we say things like, this time it will be different. I swear. This time I promise we will do this. And even sometimes as kids will ask their parents for some sort of pinky promise or something to back up what they're committed to doing. So what's going on with that? Why do we do this? Well, let's see. As we look at God's Word, James chapter 5, just verse 12, and you'll find it on page 1210 in the Pew Bibles. This is God's Word. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes, and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. This is God's Word. Lord, would you bless the reading and the hearing of your Word? May it be powerful life-giving. Open our eyes, our ears, that we might listen carefully. That, Lord, we might be transformed. And even in these uncertain days, in these challenging times, and no matter our history of truth-telling or not, that we, O Lord, might be a people of truth. Transform us, we pray, as we look at Your Word and trust in Your Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. You know, just up until oh, a week or so ago, maybe even a few days ago now, 
I had, I had a title for this message because I look ahead, you know, and I'll look through the passages and be like, okay, this is pretty deep. This is, you know, one verse. But my title for this passage was, why is this here? <laughs> that was all I could think of. Because it's kind of an odd, almost feels like out of the blue thing for James to talk about. Why all of a sudden after, as we've seen the last couple of weeks, uh, messages on, on patience and suffering, perseverance, uh, as Pastor Dave talked about last week, two weeks ago, as Pastor William uh, opened up the first few verses of chapter 5, this uh, righteousness in, in dealing with our wealth and material possessions. Now, now he says uh, a command, there's actually two here, about oaths and, and swearing. And by the way, this is, you know, this is not swearing like as in cussing or those kind of things. And there is a weird connection. I researched this week, but it's just too off the wall to, to kind of get through all that. But it's not about cussing. It's not about those kind of things. It's about promises. It's about making vows and oaths about things like, I swear, as a commitment. Uh, and, and James here seems to be saying that this is most important. He says, above all. It's like of all the things he's talked about, why now with one verse does he say above all? And why is it do not swear more important? You know, all this context of oppression and patience. And after this, the next actually several verses, just every verse talks about prayer. So what's, what all is going on here? Well, long story short, it's, it's, we can't be positive about why this is here. It, there's some things going on, surely, and there's some possibilities. One of them is, as commentators and Bible scholars are divided on what, what's going on here, whether it fits or not in the context, this expression, above all, uh, in the Greek, it was sometimes used to just say, this is the end of the letter. This is my closing. And sometimes, in fact, people would close their letters in those days with something along the lines of an oath to the truthfulness of what they said. Um, and, and some would say this is James kind of turning that tradition on his head and instead of an oath or promise, he's saying don't even make promises. Uh, that's possible. But one thing we do know for sure that is definite is that James is echoing, yet again, the teaching of Jesus. That James is again, without clearly quoting directly, referring to what Jesus taught. And for example, Matthew 5, 33-37, which is in your bulletins. And what he's saying aligns with the theme, that one of the big themes James has been getting at, which is this idea of, of a right view of God, of a confidence in God, a trust in God, of, of on the other hand, avoiding double-mindedness. He spoke about that with prayer at the beginning in chapter 1, that you uh, need to have confidence as you come without wavering, without doubting, uh, and that confidence being in God. And so whatever's going on with this passage, that what James is getting at clearly is this idea of a confidence and a trust in God. To get at a right view of God. 
And that will impact the words that come out of our mouths. It will impact our hearts and our motives underlying that. It, it will lead us away from those, those hasty commitments, those rash vows, uh, saying things like, God, you know, get me off of this deserted island and, and I will go to church and be a good person or whatever that deserted island experience was for you. We've all heard those kind of things. We've all been in those situations where we just cry out to God and we start to make promises. Or maybe we're desperate before another person and we have let them down again and again and we're, just, we're desperate for them to take us and give us one more chance and we swear up and down and make promises about being better and doing better. And all of those promises, all of those commitments wind up being proof that, that we kind of know that we're a little dicey in keeping our commitments. Right? The reason my friend would hesitate to lend me a dime is he's probably lended me 10 cents before. Right? And the reason I would say, cross my heart over the die, is that I know he's going to be reluctant. Right? So I've got to up the game. Because I might not be telling the truth. I might not keep my commitment. And in the grand scheme of things, you know, a dime is pretty small. But that's the kind of people the Lord is aiming to form us into. Is the kind of people who make promises and commitments, who, who understand that when you make promises and commitments, really your relationships are on the line. Promises and commitments can make your relationships better or worse. They can be a blessing or a curse. Promises and commitments open you up to condemnation, as he says in the passage, judgment, or commendation, praise, affirmation from others and from the Lord. So as we look at this passage, as you make promises and commitments, I want you to avoid condemnation, judgment, and I want you to find blessing, affirmation, commendation. The way James says to do that as we unpack this passage, it will be better for you as you make promises and commitments if you do two things. And the first one is to choose your words. And the second one is to check your heart. We're going to dig into those two concepts right now. As you make promises and commitments, first of all, choose your words. Your words are binding. They are binding. James says in verse 12, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Jesus said in Matthew 5.37, let your statement be yes, yes. No, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. When we feel the need to add something like cross my heart, or I swear, or make some sort of further commitment, it is an admission of failure in truthfulness. You only need an oath if your word alone is unreliable. And it ought to be that our word is binding, as the passage that uh, we read a few moments ago says, that a man shall not violate his word, he shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. That's Numbers 30, verse 2. That we 
keep our word. You know, that used to be a thing. You know, my word is my bond. I'm a man of my word. And when we have to say more than yes or no, when we have to say I promise or I swear or cross my heart, we're saying I might not be a man of my word. That I have to add more to it. And sometimes the oaths and the vows would include things like childish perspective, right? Of hope to die and stick a needle in my eye. Some sort of curse from God. That's the origin of oaths and vows was that it's saying, look, I'm so serious about this that I call God or whoever your deity is to witness. And that may it go poorly with me. May I be cursed if I don't follow through. Right? And that's the context not just in, in a Christian or Old Testament setting. That's the context throughout the world. Right? That's what we're implicitly saying when we make vows and commitments. Now, the thing is that, the, that those oaths and vows are problematic, not evil. They're problematic. They're, they have problems, but oaths and vows are not evil. Even as James says, let your yes be yes. We see throughout the New Testament that people make vows. Jesus Himself was put under oath at His trial by the high priest in Matthew 26, 63, and 64. When the high priest says, I adjure you by the living God, tell us, Jesus answers. He has essentially put Himself under oath in that situation, in a courtroom, so to speak. There are oaths elsewhere in the New Testament. Paul regularly makes some sort of promise or oath or vow. Romans 1.9, 2 Corinthians 1.23, Galatians 1.20, 1 Thessalonians 2.5, 10. There's several. And in fact, God Himself makes oaths and promises. Hebrews 6.13-17 speaks of that. When God makes that promise, He swears by His own name because He is the highest. That God makes an oath. So the oath and vows themselves are problematic for us human beings, but they're not evil. So, I'm sympathetic to the view of many that would say, you know, I won't, I won't make an oath or vow even in a court of law. You know, I don't think you, I think you need, I don't think you need to hold that position. I think it would be okay for you to say, I promise to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. It reminds you, in fact, of your need for truthfulness. And to help you, choose your words. Where James and Jesus and the rest of the New Testament are getting at in these situations is that you ought to be, in most circumstances, in your everyday life, such a person of your word, recognizing that your word is binding, that you don't need to make those additional oaths and vows for someone to believe you will follow through. You don't need to make those. In fact, James says that's a bad idea. Verse uh, 22 of what we read. That's what we read. Deuteronomy 23. Verse 22 says, if you refrain from vowing, it would not be sin for you. But if you do vow, make sure you keep your vow. Is the sense. Don't delay. You shall perform what goes out from your lips as you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised. In the background for James and Jesus before him, is, is this practice in the culture of his day, in the religious community especially, where people would make oaths and vows very publicly. 
And they would use that as an opportunity actually to look good before others, but then to not have to keep that commitment. They would swear big promises you know, by the altar and then say, well, really, it doesn't count because I didn't swear by the gold. Or they would promise by the earth and they would say, well, that doesn't matter because I didn't swear by God. And they would use it to say one thing and appear one way before other people but in fact, wiggle out later on. And you can read that. We don't have time to dig into it. But in Matthew 23, Jesus has some really harsh words for the Pharisees and the people of His day. Matthew 23, 16-22. Confronting that dishonesty. That hypocrisy. That people-pleasing. And what really it's about as we dig into oaths and promises and what James and Jesus are saying, what it's really about is this issue of truthfulness. It's about character and integrity. And so the, the, the first point I'm, I'm making is that one thing you need to do is choose your words carefully. Because here's the thing. If you don't choose your words carefully at the beginning and before you make a promise or a commitment, if you don't think that through... You will be choosing your words carefully afterward when you break that commitment and don't follow through on your promises. You'll figure out how how do I wiggle out of this? It it just happens, right? You say, yeah, I'll I'll be there at 6 and you don't show up until 6.10. And you say, well, the traffic is really bad. You know, it was like crazy traffic. And, you know, really, you didn't leave your house until 6.01. Or the traffic was actually the line at the Starbucks and the drive-thru was really long and you needed a cup of coffee, right? Like those, those, those are the ways that we will do. Because if we don't choose our words ahead of time, those are the things that will happen. We'll afterwards be nuancing what we meant, explaining around our failures or shortcomings, Blaming others, maybe telling a white lie, stretching the truth a little bit. You know, the researchers have found that most of the lies that we tell are called white lies, little white lies. I didn't look into the origin of that expression. Who knows what that's about? But they're those untruths we tell attempting to ease social interactions researchers say that's you know those are not very severe at all those are you know about social interactions and relationships for example saying to your mother-in-law that her cake is delicious when you actually just dislike desserts altogether right we had a friend in tennessee who when she was little had to gain weight and she just had to eat tons of desserts, um, whipped cream and heavy milk and all these kind of things. And so she just grew up eating all this really rich stuff and she just did not like desserts. And she was Dutch, so she told us that. We didn't have to worry about her mincing her words. She just straight up told us, I I don't really like desserts. I don't care for them. And we weren't offended. right? So one of the things that happens is we tend in those situations to want to shade the truth. I don't want to hurt their feelings. I want to manage our relationship. So I'll I'll just shade things a little bit. I'll just tweak it a little bit. Um, And that's what we call 
white lies, less severe. On the other end of the spectrum, what would be bald-faced fabrications, right? You just totally deny the truth, you know, uh, no, you know, I, I, I never smoked that, right? I, I never did that. I did not have that affair. Whatever it is, right? Just a total bald-faced lie, you're caught and you deny it, right? So those are, that's the spectrum of lying. And what I would encourage you to think about is choosing your words very carefully. Lest you fall under judgment, the Lord says here. Some of us by nature tend to want to emphasize easing those social interactions, right? We really we don't want to hurt someone's feelings. We don't want to disappoint them. So we have become practiced at nuancing the truth and, and shading things, right? It's good to want to have healthy relationships, but part of the judgment that God brings is that He sometimes lets us go down that path. On the other hand, some of us are so honest and telling it like it is that we damage relationships. You, you don't have to tell the whole truth. And as you do, you should do it carefully. So this idea of choosing your words, uh, avoiding hasty commitments. You know, uh, This is especially for parents. Something that I, I heard years ago and has stuck with me of being very careful about what you promise. You know, if you're involved in something, doing something, and your kids ask you for something, you'll make sure you hear what they're asking for. You're loading the dishwasher, not paying attention, and they're like, hey, can we go to the candy store tomorrow? And you're like, yeah, sure, honey. You know, next day comes around, you got no thought about it. You didn't, you, you weren't registered, you weren't clocked into that conversation, right? And they're like, end of the day, I thought we are going to the candy store, Daddy, you said. And then what do you do? You oh, I didn't know, I'm sorry. I promise we'll go tomorrow. This, this idea of just paying attention in our relationships. Avoiding promises that we can't keep. Choosing our words carefully. You know what happens is we'll be full of guilt. If we don't do that. We'll... A lot of it is based on not wanting to disappoint. In the moment. I don't want you to feel bad, so I, I, will, I will say something that's not quite true. I don't want you to feel that pain. But sooner or later, brothers and sisters, the, the pain is going to happen, right? We, 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 in a fallen world, we disappoint people. So choosing our words carefully is very important as people of integrity. One of the easy ways to do this is what James told us just back in chapter 4, right? Just add Lord willing. Not like in a trite kind of way. Not in his like, you know, are you going to go to work tomorrow? Lord willing, and you mean, you know, if I feel like getting out of bed, right? That's not, that's not what that means. That means like, Lord willing, things happen. And we'll go to the park on Thursday, Lord willing. And you go consistently, right, when you follow through on your words. But sometimes then when pandemics happen or lesser things like it just rains 
or there's some other crisis, when the car breaks down, your kids understand, your friends understand what you mean. That you do keep your word, but you also recognize that you have limits, that there are things out of your control. And so you choose your words carefully as you're thinking of making promises and commitments. Paying attention to the words that come out of your mouth. Choose your words carefully. They're binding. And when you heighten your words, you admit there's a problem with truth-telling. And so not only should you choose your words, but you also need to check your heart. What, what keeps coming out? You know, James talks about this and Jesus talks about it. So there must be something here. Why is it so hard to just say yes or no? It's because we're admitting, in a sense, that our simple word is not likely to be trusted, as John Stott puts it. We try to induce people to believe us by adding a solemn oath. You know, even as he says here, you know, just let your yes be yes and your no, no. As you try to practice that, even if you recognize and memorize this verse and say, you know what, I'm in danger of falling under judgment, that you're going to find that to be hard. And so pay attention to what keeps coming out. And when are those circumstances? Because what's underneath of that is your heart. Jesus Himself said, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Matthew 12 34. The good man brings good out of his brings out of his good treasure what is good. The evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for in the day of judgment. Check your heart. These are life and death issues. You might say, well, you know, it's paying back your friend a dime or it's going to the candy store. These are life and death issues. The part of the judgment this is speaking of when he says, so that you may not fall under judgment, is that you, you become a different person as you practice these things. It is in the little things that we sow every day that we bear the big fruit. And in your relationship with your children, speaking promises guardedly, carefully choosing your words, that they grow up trusting you, has huge implications for then what they believe about God and other authority figures in their life. That we would be careful in those words. We would check our hearts. What does that look like? It's about honesty inside. It's about integrity and dealing with the roots actually of dishonesty that, that we are confronted with because we know we do fall short. You know, I confess that I use Lord willing sometimes because I'm like, I don't know that I'll be able to keep that. So if I say Lord willing, that kind of blesses it, right? It's like, I said Lord willing. Right? That, what's going on in my heart? I'm, I'm using God's Word and His providence kind of as a, as a back door. Interesting research this, this week I uncovered was that in the past, and maybe you've heard this, Statistics say that the average, you know, people average, uh, on average, lie two times per day. They tell a lie two times per day. <clears throat> They've redone these studies more recently and determined that actually that's, that's, that's not quite true for most of us. Normally you would have, you know, an average would be right in the middle and everybody's evenly distributed. Some, you know, some tell, uh, 
no lies, some tell two lies. You know, like it's just spread out evenly, right? But with lying, it's actually skewed. Most people tell way fewer than two lies per day, but there's some people who tell way more lies than two. And you take all the numbers at them up, and it's like two across the board. But it's actually this problem for some of us that we tell way more lies. And I think this is part of the judgment of God. That if you get in this habit in the little things, I'm feeling I have to cover for this and cover for that. It becomes a skill for you. It becomes something you're good at. And you rely on it rather than choosing your words, rather than checking your heart, rather than dealing with the underlying issues of do you really have a problem arriving on time? Do you really have a problem with people-pleasing? Do you really have a problem with your, uh, your reputation and you want to be perceived as super competent? Do you really have a problem with wanting to be liked by people and not disappoint them? You know, what is going on in your heart? Check your heart. C.S. Lewis said that every time you make a choice, you're turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before. You're slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. It's in the little choices, it's in the little commitments. It's in the little conversations. It's in those little things. What keeps coming out? Pay attention to that. As you, as you try to put this verse into practice this week, as you pay attention to the promises you make, the appointments you put on your calendar, the conversations on the phone of, yes, I will, including I will pray for you. How many times have I can promise that? And forgotten about it. You know, that. What kind of choices are we making? And what's going on in those situations? What leads you to make those hasty commitments to break commitments? And there will be patterns. There will undoubtedly be patterns. You might see a pattern with your spouse or your children, with people in power or people who are needy. You might see a pattern that, that you want to avoid conflict or that pumps up your image or, or you tend to overcommit to protect your comfort and ease or to be under committing and avoidance. A pattern that avoids disappointing others. Who do you usually avoid disappointing? It's probably not everybody. Who are you willing to disappoint? It's all this issue underneath of it is about truthfulness, about integrity, about that inner world alignment with your outer world actions, with your words aligning with your heart. Because out of your heart, your mouth speaks, Jesus says. It is this, this area, it is the border between the, the smooth land where everything seems fine and wonderful, that land of hypocrisy, right? Versus the bumpy land of, you know what? Authenticity. We're, we're messed up. 
It's not all smooth. We, we don't have all of our bases covered. We, we can't keep all of our commitments. We let people down. It is impossible to live without making commitments. The problem is that the various commitments that we have are almost all in tension with one another. Think about that. And this is maybe one of the, one, one of the main things I have learned in the last couple of weeks and that I would love for you to understand even in the few minutes we have left. The commitments we make or are tempted to make or don't make, there's tension in all of those commitments. That's a profound thing because you can't solve tension. You can only manage it. Tensions pull you one way or another, right? And these are almost all polarities. You either go this way or this way. And you can't solve that. There's not a right answer. It's always this pull and push, this, this give and take of tension. If it was a problem, you could solve it. You know, the car is broken, here's how you fix it. This is, not, this is a tension. Work and family, it's a tension, right? Rest and work, tension. Being uh, alone and being with other people is a tension. Being together as a couple and being individuals on your own. It's a tension. Loving God and loving neighbor is a tension. They're in pull for us as fallen human beings. Kindness and truth are intention for all of us. Serving others and caring for ourselves are intention. Which Jesus said, by the way, love God and love your neighbor as yourself, right? That, that's a tension. Loving God and loving your neighbor and taking care of yourself. Work and family. You know, we, we, I wish I'd have had this language 20 years ago. When we were in seminary, we had three little kids, had a couple of more along the way. I think we went there with two. We came out with like four, right? Yeah, I think my math is right. And, and it was frustrating to me that we kept having to go back and talk about my schedule. Every semester, you know, it's like it's so many courses, and that means this much study time, and I'm working this job, and we've got family time, so we should do some fun things together, but we also need to sleep. And, and then I started doing an internship, and it's like, all these things. And so well, we said we'd do this. And then, well, it seems like you're spending that time there. So what's going on with that? And we'd have to revisit it, right? It was, I wanted it to just be a problem to solve. Boom, set the schedule, we're done, right? But that's not the way life works. It was a tension to be managed. And so we would revisit it every semester, if not even more. When was the last time you and your spouse, you and your kids, you sat down and talked about what those tensions are? Are we spending enough time together? You know, how's, how's things going? Am I working too much? You know, during the pandemic, am I home too much? <laughs> Those are tensions. You cannot solve them. You can acknowledge them and manage them, and there is a ton of room for grace there. Because... Tensions, you know, sometimes one of you is stronger than another, and so you wind up pulling that direction. And it takes humility to say, is this a fair way of handling this? Sometimes, sometimes one of us is just 
naively heading in a direction and, and, and is pulling in this way and the other person's feeling it. It's like just a conversation. Hey, I feel like we're not spending enough time together. Hey, those kind of things. And what are the practices we should implement? Those are tensions. Now, bring that back around to commitments, right? What happens is we're feeling all these different tensions. And some of the tensions are my reputation. Some of those tensions, temptations are, you know, I want to be viewed this way. Some of those tensions are I want to please my wife. Some of those tensions are, you know, I want to make my kids happy. Some of those tensions are God. Oh, where's God in all that? And so the solution to managing this is to first acknowledge it and then bring those other priorities in. And this brings us back around to why I think this passage is here which is to, to have us walk away from this letter of James. He's going to talk about prayer. Lord willing, we'll be there next week. See what I did there? Lord willing, we'll be there next week talking about that, right? That, but they would end on this place of, you know what? God is sovereign, and God has to be my priority. And, and if He is, then my commitments ought to reflect that. I believe that God sees it all without me even saying it, that I will be judged for my words and my follow-through. And more than that, that this is the same God who loves me and has grace in store for me. That He gives more grace when we humble ourselves in His presence. That tension, by the way, that your God is a God of justice who will judge, He is also a God of mercy who loves us and doesn't want to judge. And the way God resolves that tension is through Jesus Christ. And it is only through Jesus Christ that we can embrace hope in these circumstances. It's only through Jesus Christ that we can find forgiveness for all the times we have failed on our commitments, whether it was as a child and I didn't pay back my friend that dime, or whether it's you and the ways you've broken trust with your spouse, the ways you've messed up with your children, rebelled against your parents, offended a friend or a co-worker. It is only in Jesus Christ where we find this mercy and justice meeting together. That we can have confidence that our sin is taken care of. That God actually cares about our words so much so that He would come, take on human flesh, and be nailed to a cross to suffer and die and remain under the power of death to pay the penalty for our sin. That's what He offers. We'll be held accountable for every careless word, he says. And that's either going to be you paying for it or having Jesus paid for it. If you put your confidence in Jesus that He took that sin for you as well on the cross, that He rose victorious and He sends His Spirit into our hearts out of a love and concern for us, the One who is the way, the truth, and the life has come to dwell in your heart. That what comes out of you tomorrow might be different than what has come out of you in the past. That what comes out of you going forward and your actions that follow through, that you might be able to choose your words carefully. That you might be able to see these patterns and check your heart. That you might live 
more honestly, more truthfully, more authentically, more graciously than you could have ever imagined. Can you imagine that? What, what, if, what if we were a people who, who were so sincere that if we just said, I will pay you back tomorrow, good enough. Right? If we said, I will be there, you're going to show up. And if we said, God loves you no matter what, people would say, I believe that. Because I know you are a person of integrity and character. And I know you are different. And that has to be God working through you. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, Thank you for your grace and your mercy to us as we read a passage that speaks of potential judgment in an area where we have all failed. Lord, we have not kept our commitments and promises. We've called down heaven and earth. Even as Peter, betraying you, found forgiveness, Lord, we look to you for forgiveness. We look to you for more than just forgiveness. We look to you for transformation. Would you make us more and more a people of honesty and truthfulness, of authenticity, a people who care about relationships and want to manage them and yet also won't compromise on the truth, a people who care about the truth but also understand kindness and compassion, who show grace to one another that we might grow more and more like you, Jesus, we pray you would do that work in us and through us. But we pray in Jesus' name, amen.